Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about running a tabletop game online. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And we also talk about movies and TV and other random other stuff sometimes. Sometimes, but this week we're talking about tabletop games. That's definitely happening. That's definitely our topic, specifically because we do all of our games this way: running tabletop games online. Well, uh, you know, not, not strictly all of them. I do run a game in person as well, okay, but that fine. is that is the main way that we share our content with you, That's the true. viewers. We don't the upload. Listeners. We don't upload your games to the. Yeah, no, that would that would that would be <laughs> a shit show. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, this kind of this, the impetus for this was, well, we, we didn't have a good idea, but the, um, we, uh, if you remember back when we went to Gen Con, we told the story of how Buddy and, uh, Freaking Ghost Mark, um, hijacked a panel that was unattended by the person that was supposed to be running it on running games online. And we figured it'd be good to kind of share that knowledge with, uh, the broader audience, of, uh, of our podcast listeners. Yeah, at this point, I actually really do feel... Uh, uh, I mean, this also kind of comes a little bit out of a conversation that you and I had had the other day, which made me very confident uh, in our ability to get to the bottom of some of these things. But uh, I, I, do, I do feel like uh, we are uh, weirdly kind of experts at it because we've been running these games like this for so long, you know? Yeah, actually, uh, fun story. point, which is crazy. Fun story. I actually ran my first online game when I ran Duck City Outlaws. That's the first time I've actually run one online. Interesting. I did not know that. I yeah, did I mean, not know that. Obviously, I've been doing the streaming stuff and some of the technical stuff for your and Mark's and Nick's games uh, on the other end, but I've I have only started to GM um, with 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 that Duck City Outlaws game, um, and it gave me a new appre- appreciation for what you guys do, um, because f- frankly, Roll Twenty is kind of a piece of shit. Um, really? Oh, I actually like, like Roll20. Like, well, so I, mean, I think I think Roll20 is the best thing out there. Um, and major props to them for doing what they do, because I'm sure that the market for online tabletop game players is tiny, and that they're not, like, you know, this is... this is Roll20 is not the next unicorn, right? It's not the next billion-dollar startup. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. like, just kind of, like, how awful it is to use any of... all. Like, the interface is terrible. Trying to, like, doing things as simple as reordering things is mind-numbingly like awful um i i guess you know it's 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 easy enough to work around a lot of it but it's it it, it was amazing to me like how how hard it is to do some things that i, th- I thought would be very basic um, oh that's interesting see i i don't really have the same kind of sense for like usability i guess yeah uh that you do because i'm not necessarily a programmer i'm trying to think of things that like Roll tw- I wanted to be able to do with Roll20 that I couldn't accomplish. Um. I mean, so, so it, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's not so much like, like, I don't think there was anything I wanted to do that I couldn't do, but like a little thing, like, like, I don't think I could reorder any of my, uh, any of my like card. I couldn't figure out how to reorder any of like my entries in, in any of like the, the, the Pokedexes or whatever, or like the, uh, uh, oh, really? The, the you, list. You, you just drag in. You just it wasn't. In. It wouldn't work for me. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, that probably maybe speaks to some browser incompatibilities, like maybe because I use Firefox primarily, and they probably develop primarily for Chrome because everybody does. 
But uh, yeah, I use Chrome and um, it also might be like an add-on I was using or something like maybe AdBlock fucks with their, its ability to um, rear like you know like there, there's some control tied to that or who right. knows. Um, but yeah, that is that is actually interesting. That is actually really weird because I don't have those kinds of. I mean, so something I, that did come up by the way is that I wanted to use the decks feature in order to make rollable tables, right? Uh, you know, for like random encounters, random. Right, right, right. I do, I do that stuff anyway, right? But I have to kind of go outside the site in order to build those randomizers, um, which is, you know, which is what it is. But um, I don't think that's what the decks are there for. So I kind of always felt like that was more on me, like wanting these this feature to be different than it than it is. Right. Well, like uh, it, it's it's basically a thing where you where you want a feature that's not available, and you try to to squeeze an existing feature to to do it. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And also, <laughs> if I'm correct, you you're not like a you're not like a roll twenty member or whatever, right? You don't pay the. Oh the, no, I am. I'm. Oh, a, you are. Okay. Uh, yeah, I pay. Yeah, I I do it for the. Uh, I so, <laughs> uh, because I've run two games now in roll twenty, um, I have my my like folder of like all of the stuff I've ever uploaded to the site is huge. As a premium member, you can just upload as much as you want. As a uh, as a regular member, you only can do like a gig or something like that, which is actually enough to support about a campaign, right? Like Nick ran the entirety of Iron Gods on his on his gig, and I ran the entirety of my Kingmaker game on that. Um, but once I started hitting the cap and realizing that it existed, I was like, well, it's really more important for me to have all of the content than it is, and it's only like ten bucks a month. Yeah. Uh, and I just like the site. It's like, like it's it's you know, you know it's a site that I use like, so yeah, much yeah. that yeah, like I I just feel good about I like feel, I I, yeah. I, kick a, I kick a couple bucks to D twenty PFSRD each month uh, through Patreon too for for similar reasons. I really should do that for D twenty P PFSRD. But so one of the advantages of that I don't know if you've explored it is that you can actually like um you can add like plugins like like third party plugins to your game um that people write. Uh, like I, I was looking into this when, when we played Destiny Outlaws, just because I couldn't find a good way to do a synchronized timer, and apparently the only way to do it is is to be a premium member and have access to like some custom piece of code someone wrote and posted on a forum, which is never a thing I like to do, because you never you know it. I could probably look at it and it looked like it was fine, but I also you know it, it's one of those things that always makes me a little bit weary. It's like cut and paste this line of code into your command line and hope and, and it, you know it won't do anything bad. I promise. Um, but, uh, this, this is kind of in, in the nitty gritty about like the particulars of roll 20, which I think we can pull a little bit back from, um, like you said, you've been running, you've probably got the most experience out of any of us, um, running campaigns online. Um, and you've also run a fair number of campaigns, uh, uh, in person. What do you find to be the biggest differences? See, the biggest difference is it's, is the organization that comes with it. Roll20 is a tool that naturally organizes you. And for somebody like me, who is, first of all, uh, kind of like mentally verbose, right? Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's very easy to get caught when you're running something like uh, in real life. It's... And there's no kind of constrictions or constraints or, you know what I mean? Like, you are as well organized as you are as well organized, like, as well as organized you as be, you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah, kind of thing, right? Like, it's very easy to, like, lose track of things 
if that kind of makes sense, right? Absolutely. Um, and I am extremely good at running the beginnings of campaigns and awful at the endings because I typically kind of like uh, not like burn myself out, but kind of like run out of. This is actually typically what happens. I do a ton of ton of prep work for the beginning of a campaign and then the campaign starts and I don't do prep work anymore. I'm just running the camp, the prep work that I've done. And then I exhaust the runway of that prep work. And all of a sudden now I'm working on, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of fly. Everything is like flying by night, uh, yeah. seat of the pants kind of, kind of thing. Um, because I didn't like prep myself ahead of time for anything past. This is typically like quote unquote book one material, right? This same this same pattern happened actually in Hell's Rebels. I just took some time off in order to get book two to a place that I wanted it to be. And even then I like hot fixed basically half of it because I changed I uh, changed a lot of the structure and like like I was telling you you write like I cut this whole thing about um, I cut this whole bit in the middle about the nobles fighting because there was this huge pace like I just kind of felt like it was just like a huge drag on the pacing uh, of everything right like I still do that kind of stuff all the time but it's a lot easier to make those kinds of hotfix changes uh, when you have the prep work than when you don't if that makes sense right? Um, and because Roll20 demands that organization in a way that's different, right? Like, the the character journal, <clears throat> the handout section, right? Like, all of these kinds of things just make it, the, the you know, like the maps uh, and the tokens and everything like that. It Like, the only way to really do Roll20 is to engage, is to engage with the organizational systems of it. If that makes sense, like I guess you could roll a roll twenty game without a journal, and I guess you could do it without like handouts, and I guess you could do it without like regular real maps. And I've actually played in some games that were a little bit like that, but I don't know something about the system being in place for me to kind of pour my, you know, to pour all of these these thoughts, right? The ninety percent of the iceberg that nobody sees into. Um, means that that 90% of the iceberg now gets filtered and organized and categorized and put together in uh in a in a way such that I am now all of a sudden an organized GM whereas I used to be kind of a scatterbrained one almost huh interesting that's actually it's actually uh it's that, that is like the the most like I've 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 done some of my own looking into how people feel about online typical gaming. I think that's the first time I've ever heard that, that like the, the organization um, that really talks about this is kind of an advantage. It's like the, the, the organization forcing you to kind of hit your stride organizationally. So do you prefer running games online? I prefer running games online. I am a better GM when I run things online. Okay. So, uh, so, okay. So here's a principle, right? Anybody who's thinking about running games, here's a principle that you got to get used to. Um, you actually have to get used to this principle in a lot of things I find in life, but right. Like, when you're imagining, when something is in your head, right? I got this from a filmmaker. I can't remember who it is, but if you know who I'm plagiarizing, I, I'm, this is my giving them credit, uh, whoever that person is. When you imagine things in your head, they are at their 100% like perfectness, right? And the more and more you bring those things into real life, the more and more percentages tick off of that. And your hope is that you can end that with your project being, you know, 75%, right? And not 50 or whatever, you know, like whatever you, the, the arbitrary numbers of kind of like quote unquote success are, uh, so to speak. And I find that in Roll20, because of the organization that it forces me into, it keeps me better 
locked into, um, uh, it keeps me better locked into kind of the 100% mindset. And so the end result is me running the game at 75% rather than 50% perfectness, if that makes sense. Actually, a tangible example of this that I can think of, you know, Vanessa's Trex, the, um, the member of the guard, uh, the member, sorry, the member of the Dotari that you guys have run into a couple of times. Uh, she, she has the bow. She oh, was yeah. The one that, she was the one that, like, took you guys, like, hostage and ran you in front of the house so that you could right, get... Right, 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 right. like, yeah. You also met her, you know, she was also the one who was guarding the crime scene, so that was the first time you met her. Then you met her again because she came in at the end right after the uh, the Savager Demon got away, right? You've met... So you've bumped into her, or cu- her a couple of times, right? And I know that this game has a million NPCs and it's easy to kind of, like, lose track, but a problem of mine that happens all the time in real life is I is I pathologically like create these GM or these NPCs uh, constantly, right? The reason that this is a problem is because I'm creating four or five different NPCs in order to fill the slot that one NPC would fill normally if that if that makes sense and because i have the character journal and because anytime i need to make a decision on the fly like i actually didn't make that decision about vanasa's trek showing up the second time where i was just like oh god somebody needs to come in on the back end to kind of like break down this this like scene or whatever it was super easy for me to like click open the journal look at any of thrun's agents and realize oh of course it would be vanessa's treks if that makes sense right so instead of introducing you to a new character instead of like taxing your mental kind of game bandwidth even further right i can now instead reincorporate and reinforce an element of the story that I had already created. In fact, this kind of thing has happened a couple of times in a couple of different ways, right? For instance, having, being able to, uh, being able to reference your, those five families that are, that are named in the contract. That's something that in real life I would be awful at. I would totally forget those names all the time right but because we have it written down and it's so easily accessible it's like kind of right there and it really helps with the decision making that you guys are making on the fly if yeah that makes sense no that makes total sense actually if if by way of kind of suggestion i actually didn't realize that that was the same person each time like oh, vanessa's treks yeah okay uh, if you've got a card for her pop her up on screen whenever she shows up um and then and then then i'll start at least i'll start remembering that it's the same like like i don't know I feel like I, I was, uh, you know, while, while you were explaining this, I was thinking, like, why, why didn't I realize it's the same person? And I know, at least for me, like, you know, if, if it's, like, a TV show or something, I'll recognize the character over and over again, but I don't get that same kind of, like, feel with, uh, with, mm. um, especially because, like, like, the tokens, the tokens generally don't kind of, like, show up as much, or I don't know, it, it feels like, it feels like her token's fairly generic, um, mm. Um, you know what it is, is uh, is you know I just think her token's small. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like if I if I think I think you're right. I think you're making a very small. Um, uh, I think making a very small change where anytime somebody like that shows up, I can just kind of uh, the, you know like pop them the on character the screen, portrait. Yeah. Right. I think that would I think that would help out a lot because um, the other thing that I like is I also try and keep a little one entry. I mean my GM in my GM info for these guys is huge, but I always try and keep like a little one sentence thing. Like this is what this person looks like or talks like kind of thing. Like this is how you met them. Maybe something in there. 
Um, just as like a one sentence reminder. Uh, and it totally makes sense that I should throw these guys up on screen because just the token maybe isn't enough. Is 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 not enough. Yeah, I, I think I think that would definitely definitely uh, do like um, and and maybe maybe throwing it like throwing it up should be enough. But it's also just kind of like I, I never it never kind of occurred to me that that I might have seen this person before, so I never like thought to make that connection. I think the visual element would definitely do that. So uh, that 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 uh, that should be good. That'd be me. Um, more stuff. Um, something that I know that's kind of like legendarily hard to do with these online games is maintaining player focus. Um, and I know that. Um, I've I've heard a bunch of different advice on this. One one of the strongest ones I have heard from a couple different. Uh, people who kind of do like like give online advice is kind of like their shtick, um, is uh is you know keep your game like three players or less, um but you and and Nick and Mark have managed to run games that are consistently, um over that almost double them in some cases, um, uh, how do you think that works out and and um, uh I know in, in the past you've expressed that that you know m- maybe letting some people disengage a little bit isn't the worst thing. Is uh, do you still feel the same about that? That is, yeah, I I, I hold true to that philosophy. I think that uh, it is not required that everybody have one hundred percent kind of attention, uh, in kind of the economy of the game. I think maybe so. To be honest with you, I actually also kind of think this holds true a little bit for real life games too. But like in in, a, in like less severe sense, uh, I think I think the thing that really throws this for a loop is the fact that if you're not talking, you don't have a presence at the table, right? It's very easy to forget somebody who's being silent. And I want to and I like I want to make a quick kind of aside here, right? Like there are players who are silent, but they still have their presence at the table. Like um, Marigrug is a good example of this, right? He is not a very active, not a super loud player. He is. Uh, kind of like but but i don't think he's a bad player right i don't think and i don't think he's disengaged from the game i think he's just quiet he's just listening to everybody else if that kind of makes sense oh absolutely um and i think that you know and so i think that there's a place for a player like that but then i also think you have a player who's quiet because he's playing world of warcraft right like and i'm gonna call you out i'm sorry enoch but you're not gonna listen to this podcast or whatever <laughs> enoch <laughs> uh who plays rakax right but enoch's Enoch's engagement with the game, right, isn't only zero, and it isn't only 100%. It fluctuates. There are sometimes, especially in the fight scenes, because he gets really into these fights, and especially in certain, like, roleplay instances that, by the way, I've done an awful job. Uh, he set up some roleplay on his own. Like, he took the initiative to, like, make this thing happen, and I have yet to reincorporate it because I'm a huge piece of shit, and I keep forgetting. Um, but anyway... Um, and he, so there are times when he gets engaged and there are times when he is disengaged, right? And I think that's actually kind of true for everybody because to a certain extent, right, like there are things that people care about and there are things that people care less about and they're not quite on board with or they're, you know, they load up Hearthstone or whatever. And I, having been on the receiving end of that sort of thing, as long as the session is plugging along and there is an energy to the session in general, I am happy right? It's when I'm doing things as a GM and I'm not getting any feedback from the group because everyone is disengaged. That's when it's a problem. If if a percentage of the group, if like a certain subset of the group is ready to go and with it and everybody else is kind of, you know, like 
being quote unquote dragged along, that's okay for me because there are going to be times when those roles are reversed and there are going to be times even in the same session when those things can swap around, right? The combat starts up all of a sudden where Cax is, you know, kind of front and center and Beauregard is running around and you know what I mean? Like, I think that I... Yeah, so that that that's my philosophy when it comes to engagement in the game. I think trying to get 100% engagement 100% of the time is impossible, and it creates, to be honest, I think it creates like a weird kind of frustration and resentment that just shouldn't be there, right? Uh, because people have poor, essentially, poor expectations. Um, you know, like in World of Warcraft land, this is me. This is me, like kind of chastising players for uh players for having the wrong mindset uh rather than the devs making the system wrong right it's that kind of thing right like dms have the wrong mindset if they think they need 100 of their players to be 100 engaged all the time and anything less than that is are, are higher and higher degrees of failure right um i think as long as you're you know as long as your session is moving along at a good clip um and you have everyone engaged some of the time you're doing you're doing just fine okay so so i i definitely agree with you on this but um i know in person i don't like have this um actually i I kind of have this problem at my own table but that's that's my problem but in games that i play in um i don't have this problem like i I, like i've often found myself like i i have i have bemoaned this to you in private but you know i can't play video games because i'm running the stream and if any extra sound gets in it goes through the audio channel um but i do do things like occasionally like go pop over to reddit or something um and and this is you know in times when beauregard's not doing his beauregard thing or you know wooden wanderer is is not doing his wooden wanderer thing or whatever Mm -hmm. um but I don't ever feel like I have that problem at a table, like, as a player. Like, I always kind of feel more drawn in and more kind of engaged with, like, kind of like the moment-to-moment of what's happening. And I can't quite place my finger on why that is, why I I don't feel kind of like this tug to, like, check my phone constantly, um, which would be, I guess, the equivalent. Um, although, like I said, I, I've, I've had that, that particular problem at my own table, which has led to... Um, kind of like uh, a, a ban on phones at, in my table in some instances, mostly because we, we, we get to a point where no one's paying attention, like no one's ready to go on the next round of combat. Like I, I think I think kind of like as a baseline, regardless of how much you're engaged in the moment to moment, you should be, as a player, you should be ready to do what you need to do on your turn, if that makes sense. So interestingly, yeah, definitely. Okay, so interestingly enough, have you ever heard about like the sociological concept of like the attention economy? Like, that's a term that gets used a lot, but, like, do you know where that comes from? Uh, 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 maybe a little bit, but for, at least for the benefit of the audience, why don't you explain it anyway? Okay, sure, fair enough. Okay, so the attention economy, as I learned about it, was actually from a Wired article. I think I read this in college. It's a Wired article that's actually incredibly prescient, by the way. It was a Wired article from, like, the 90s, like, the late 90s, right as kind of the internet was taking off. And it was essentially in the midst of all of the kind – it was kind of a reaction to all of, like, the crazy idealism of, like, whoa, one day the internet is going to be at all of our fingertips and information is going to be – you know what I mean? We're going to be the perfectly, like, information sorting machine, you know, all this other kind of high and minded stuff because nobody – you know, there weren't smartphones, right? Like, we were still using dial-up. Nobody had quite like cracked but like it was getting better all the time and people were very optimistic about what that looked like 
So this guy so this guy writes an article in Wired about the called the attention economy, right? And he was like, "Listen, right? Like we think that the internet is going to create like the information economy or whatever, but it's not because what you're doing when you kind of drive down the difficulty to get information to essentially zero, right? Humans still have a, have a finite amount of attention, right? We cannot pay attention to everything at all times forever. And so it's not going to be a question of it's not going to be a question of like information and how does this huge huge like dearth of information like affect everyone's lives. It's going to be a question of how do people learn things, right? And filter that information when their attention is limited. And all of these other things that, you know, we talk about kind of are, are kind of in orbit of this concept, right? Like clickbait articles, right? And like journalism, right? Kind of echo chambers and the whole, and all of this problem with, you know, kind of like in a, in a larger socio-political sense of like people only listening to people that agree with them and they have this echo chamber and, and you know, uh, you know, so, and so all of these kind of problems are built around essentially his principle, right? Which is that the human attention span is a limiting factor. And when you make information infinite, the value doesn't go to the information anymore. It goes on. How do you get that information to people? Right. Coupling this with kind of the, um, you know, like the prevalence of information, you get, you kind of get to the point where, and this is the prediction he made, where it's like distractions are not just like easy or, or like commonplace, but like a requirement of people's existence, right? You can't, you, like you become so accustomed to living in a place with multiple streams of input that one stream of input is like untenably like, impossible to live in if that kind of makes sense do you like are you following me yeah, so yeah far? i follow you so the so if we like kind of like drill this down and applying this principle to kind of like D D or whatever when player when you're asking for like 100 engagement right you're kind of asking for that one you know you're kind of asking like get rid of all of these other streams of distraction essentially right um, and, uh, and that's the only, like, that's kind of like the only way to play. Th you might, I, I, I think there's a couple of different viewpoints here and I definitely think that there's, you know, the kind of counterpoint of like, well, no, it's really hard to reduce yourself to one stream of input, but it's the best thing for your productivity essentially. So you should do it at, this is kind of like the CGP gray argument, right? You should do this because otherwise you are being inefficient by distracting yourself all of the time. Uh, but the but the argument is essentially something akin to more of what I'm making about this engagement stuff, which is that like, sure, it would be nice if everyone had 100% engagement with the game at all times, uh, but it's a practical impossibility. So don't hold yourself to that standard, and instead shift the way that you think about these, you know, shift your principles in the way you, that you frame you frame the discussion and you and you create new standards in your head so that you can so that you can accommodate and live in a real world where this is a problem that you're not going to be able to single-handedly fix, if that makes sense. Um, so, so there's that concept to, yeah, you know. no, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I absolutely understand it. It's just kind of, kind of my point was more like, like I have, to, like I have found myself being able to kind of defeat the problem in person, right? Like when I'm sitting at a table, I don't as often feel kind of like the urge to not pay attention. And I mm. don't know why, right? I, I like, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you what it is about being in person with someone and rolling like you know when we go to Gen Con there is 
rarely ever a moment where I find myself wanting to pull out my phone and, like, check Facebook Messenger or something. Gotcha. Um, but, like, I'm constantly on Facebook Messenger when we're, we're playing online. Um, it was kind of a parallel. And, I, and I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't tell you why I am so much more, like, because I don't even feel like I'm necessarily, like, more engaged in kind of, like, an overall level, right? Like, Beauregard is a character that I have kind of, um, like, dove into more than most of, m many of my characters, especially some of, like, you know, definitely more than Wooden Wanderer, even more than, say, um, uh, Guido, who was my character in Nick's Kingmaker campaign back in college when we were playing around the table. Mm -hmm. um, and that's with me being, you know, kind of disengaged for the parts that aren't as, you know, as, as important to my character. Um, so, like, like, like I, I agree with you, it's not a bad thing to necessarily not be engaged 100% of the time, but I'm kind of curious as to, as, as to why this is an artifact of, of being online rather than an artifact of, uh, rather than being... Um, kind of a universal thing right like, i think that this behavior would have would like make me want to not pay attention at, at a table in the same kind of way but it doesn't um so i will make one quick counter argument because i think it's uh particular so the analogy that you use comparing gen con so the thing that makes Gen Con different as far as i see it is that every game at gen con is new Right. If we look back to the very first session of Rune Lords, I wasn't doing anything else either because it was brand new and I was really excited to be a part of the game and everything was new and interesting. But as Rune Lords and as you know any other game that I play, uh, I feel like gets more and more uh, regular in my life. Right. It becomes easier and easier to distract myself from it because it isn't as much of you know what I mean. Do you see like do you kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I see. What you're saying. I think I, I think do. at Gen Con and you know and I you know. I think if we were to run if we were to run a game of Rune Lords in character in person, right? I would I would expect kind of the same thing, but I think if we were to run 10 sessions in a row, that 10th session would definitely be the least amount uh like kind of engaged with, right? And by the way, I also agree with you just to like step back for a second. I also agree with you uh about the way that you framed your uh your Rune Lords game and and putting a phone ban on the table because what you were talking about, right? That actually meets the standard that I'm kind of setting sure. essentially. Um, because once every, once nobody is paid attention, like once nobody is, uh, you know, once nobody is engaged, that's the problem that I want to tackle. But as long as some people are engaged some of the time, right? If I'm just worried, and I, you know, to be honest with you, I actually think that this is kind of a better thing because this allows you to almost frame your game and your, your, um, you know, your interactions with the players in a, in a more one-to-one -one scenario, which is a positive thing. Right, like I think it is okay to have a session of the game where one person takes the lead and it's their session, so to speak. Right, like it's it's appropriate in an episode of Power Rangers uh, or whatever to have like you know the episode about Billy the Blue Ranger overcoming the bully or you know whatever whatever it is kind of thing. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, and I think that you know if you kind of follow this, uh, I think if you kind of follow this. Uh, uh, thought process and kind of these principles to the logical extreme you actually find yourself in a tough spot because it's basically impossible to get 100% of that engagement 100% of the time and so holding yourself to that kind of standard and holding your players to that kind of standard also will make your game you know at least kind of marginally worse uh to whatever uh to whatever extent because all of a sudden 
your because all of a sudden your 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 story your gameplay you know like all all of the things that are driving the campaign forward now need to be 100% engaged in by everyone and you're not allowed to kind of subdivide or right. engage players as they feed you engagement if that makes sense all right um that that, that does make sense um so so question for you then kind of for for running this for, for this all in practice have you ever have you ever felt that at any point in hell's rebels that you either had a point where, like, let's say, like none of us were engaged at all. Do you think that has ever happened? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, not really. Uh, all right, because part—I mean, yeah—I mean, so part of this is—I mean—to pat myself on the back a little bit. I think part of this is because I have a natural, you know what I mean. Somebody like maybe I don't know. I can't think of a good example, right? Oh, you know, any so any of the, really any except for the seven CGM that we had, any of those GMs at Gen Con, I think wouldn't be as good as this. Just like not to really like, you know, I'm gonna kind of, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to pass judgment on like Mark or Nick or anyone, right? Um, because I think I have natural, you know. I'm an engaging speaker, just like in that kind of situation, and not every GM is. And so I kind of have an ex, like I kind of have that working with me to a certain extent to get people in the game. Um, sure, and, and, yeah. and you know, and you know, I'm not gonna. So I'll, uh, I'm gonna say we we can talk about this a little bit um, as players, and I'm, I'm not trying to call out Mark as being poor or anything, but there have been sessions that we have ended early because it has been obvious that no one's been engaged for Rune Lords. Um, and we right. could we could go into the minutia of 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 why that was, um, but I don't think that's important. I I think what's important is is do you think that like that's certainly one solution. That, like you know if no one's engaged, end the session and try again next time. Um, do you think that's the correct solution, or do you, or you think that's the like I, I think at some points that is a good solution, right? Like it's it's at some points if it's clear that people aren't into it for whatever reason, like you know maybe. I, I, you know, maybe the presidential debate is on and everybody's kind of got that on their second monitor. Um, and, and it, it's obvious that no one's really paying attention. Everybody's paying attention to that or something. At that point, I think calling the games is the right solution. Um, but I do think there are times when it's, it's maybe a little bit more salvageable than that. Um, and at that point, what do you think, what, what would you do if you were in that situation? Gotcha. So I think th something that makes games more salvageable is to be f more free about it, right? Like players want to be engaged, Right. I think, well, okay, maybe this will, uh, maybe this will take place kind of as we move forward in our lives in general, if that kind of makes sense. Um, but, um, I think players don't show up to a game, you know what I mean? Like, players show up to a game because they want to have fun, right? Players don't show up to a game because they, you know what I mean? Like they are, they are, they are looking to be engaged. They want that engagement, right? And so something that you need to be good at or better at, right? If you're, if you're running into this problem is responding to the positivity that you find in your players when they spark to life in their engagement. This is something that, this is something that I'm highlighting when I'm talking about how badly I've kind of screwed the pooch with this Rakax thing. He gave me something that he, he wants to engage on, right? He showed me that this is an aspect of the story that he's really interested in and I failed him to whatever extent by not incorporating that, by not like reincorporating that back into the story. Now, right, just to defend myself for a second, I think Rakex gets very engaged in the combat. He's super into the combat. Um, so I don't think, you know, like there's never a point when I look at Rakex and I think he has, 
he needs that in order to, to 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 keep driving forward or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there, like sure, he's not engaged all of the time, but he's definitely engaged some of the time, right? I think I think a player who's never engaged ever that's not a positive experience, and you should try and fix that. Um, but you know, but so that's the, you know that's the thing, right? You need to you need to kind of work with your players, find what your players find is interesting, and pump that really hard, kind of a thing. Uh, in a lot of ways, the kinds of ways that I've layered more kind of like detail-oriented fine-tuning the details uh of the rebellion is a reaction to that principle in action right you guys get really into that stuff so it's so i see you know and i see that engagement and i say okay cool i'm gonna make sure that there's more of this you know for them to really chew on if that makes sense and that's how we get into you know like that's how we get into things like you know uh canton Jaltera wants you to keep slaves around how are we going to solve this problem and now we're debating you know economic theory for an hour and a half and, right? and the and discussion all the that involved everybody too which was which i think was was a high point there right like right right you, and, you, the, and usually the, just yeah. me and alaric arguing about something or like me and and one and maybe, maybe um Maybe uh, oh, what's Jimmy's character's name? Why can't I remember it? We're in. We're in. Maybe <laughs> that's why. Um, yeah, to, to, yeah. I mean, so to me, um, the perfect example of this was actually the one session in the middle of book two where I outlined the three things, and you had to create the descending uh, priority list, and just kind of like you know, you know, you had that. Everyone was into it. Everyone right. was a part of it. You know what I mean? Everyone had an opinion. Everyone got it across. And and the the week after that, I said, I said, you know, I, I outlined the principle I outlined earlier in the cast, which was, you know, you imagine these things at 100% and you're trying super hard to get it to kind of like, to get it to that point. And that session was like the closest I've kind of ever gotten to the, the, the perfect session, quote unquote, in my head. Right. But it's also something like, you know. You know that so that's me kind of in a macro sense, right? I'm macro uh, rewriting the 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 fabric of the campaign um, to to kind of to to match the group, right? But even in specific in instances, right? In micro circumstances, I can do that inside of a session too. If that if that's something that people are into or like looking for, if that kind of makes sense. Um, when somebody, you know, like when somebody responds to something, it's easy to improv that. And I think that there's a natural GM inclination not to let that happen, right? To keep them on the railroad, so to speak. Um, and I think you kind of have to resist that inclination because when people are responding, you know, when people are responding to something like that and you want to, and you want to like, you want to get you want to up your you want to up your engagement with that person, right? You want to improv to make that thing better and more important. This is something I do on a very minor scale, kind of so minor I can't really think of a good example because it's and I'm also good and I'm also good at kind of making improv look like it was railroad. So I don't have yes, a great you are, you are excellent. <laughs> you are excellent at that. Like the number of times we've done a session, I've been like, oh. Well, that happened, and then got on the podcast, and you'd be like, man, I didn't know what to do there. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I see, you know, you know, I see the threads. This happens a lot with Nick, because Nick runs so by the book, right? right. Like, um, I, I definitely kind of, like, see the see the threads as he's, as he's kind of knitting the story in front of us sort of thing. The same thing is true for Mark, but to a, but to a lesser degree, Um but, uh, but yeah, I think my biggest recommendation to wrap this all up and answer your question is to, is to 
Pay attention to what your characters get engaged by. What are your players latching on to and hammer that, right? No, okay. that, that is the solution okay. in okay. my head. That makes sense. But that seems more kind of like a, a, a solution to kind of enter your GMing with, right? Like you, you enter the session with that. What happens yeah. if, you know, like, let's say, let's say, you know, theory. Oh, oh no. Like it's a, it's a uh, kind of like a, a diplomatic challenge with Elaine. And so everybody's kind of stepped back. And Rakox is supposed to engage, but he hasn't because he didn't, you know, for whatever reason, right? Like, he's busy playing Dynasty <laughs> Warriors, and he doesn't realize that this is supposed to be his point to kind of step up and, and do the talking. Or, like, it's a combat, and, like, the, the non, like, you know, like, Beauregard is checked out because it's combat, and he kind of just does what he needs to do in combat. Um, But it's, like, a boring enough combat that even, like, Rakax doesn't engage either. How do you rescue the session at that point in time when when you've detected you've your your well laid plans have failed for whatever reason and you're at a point where you recognize that everybody's at at this moment disengaged? How do you bring it back? Um, if the answer isn't cut and run, which I again I do think is is a valid solution, some of the time is you know call the session and say we'll try again next time. Um, what's an alternative to that? Man, if you have one, that is an interesting. I you know. I don't know. I feel like I'm good enough at seeing this kind of stuff at a fly. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm taking too much credit. I actually think you guys are a good enough group that this doesn't run into being a problem uh, if that uh, sure. if that makes sense. Um, but I, I, it just I don't know. Like I definitely do think that calling, you know, I definitely do think calling the session makes a certain amount of sense. Um I think I mean I am more I am more I am more on the page of fight for it. Uh, this is partially because I build my sessions to be kind of story arcs-ish kind of, you know what I mean? Like things that you, you know what I mean? Like where, where each individual uh, session is its own story and the fact that I have to make up for kind of uh, uh, an aborted session halfway through next week is not something I want to deal with. Um I don't know. I feel like I, you know, I feel like I have a lot of tools. I have a lot of levers to pull to get the to get people uh, kind of into it and uh, and on board with uh, and on board with things. Right, adding more monsters, adding different monsters. Uh, you know, focusing on and bringing in an NPC that people know and and and. Um, okay, so, so, so it seems like. The answer is is like try and be prepared for it. Like it's like have you ever brought in it? Like you, you say bring in an NPC. Um, do you mean like if you sense things aren't going well, like trying to just kind of like like grab a story point and, and introduce a familiar face to kind of get that flowing ad hoc, or are you saying like have that kind of trick in your bag of tricks? So that, like, you know, like have, have like something like yeah, that prepared. Yeah, I mean, so, so, an, so an example of this, this isn't the same trick I'm talking about, but it's, it's a different trick, right? Me removing monsters. In the second dungeon, because we were kind of running out of time. Um, so, oh, okay, here's actually a great idea. In the second dungeon, that game with the that game with the ghost was not supposed to be a very big or a very long running thing. I think I I think it was only supposed to go four rounds, but I doubled it to eight. 
It may have gone six rounds, and I added two rounds to eight. But I could tell that Jimmy, Jimmy loved it. He was super right. into it. And so I was like, sure, I'm going to feed that. You know what I mean? Like, So it's anything. It's whatever you can do, right? And if that means, you know, right, like I add a couple of extra rounds to this thing for Jimmy, right? Something I do uh, – something else I did that I was thinking of beforehand, by the way, was I pull monsters off the table, right? There was um if you in those back in those back sections with the jails with the land in and everything there was a monster back there that you guys were gonna fight but we were so over on time and it was kind of the last big important story beat to get to uh in the night that um that I just pulled that monster and I was like fuck it we're not gonna fight that guy in fact I did this for a couple of other monsters in the in the in that dungeon just so we could get to the story places that we needed to get to. Uh, that that is almost an experience of like, I can see that the engagement is waning. It's not it's not de like I wouldn't say people were disengaged, but I could see that I was I was running out of rope here, and so I needed to scramble essentially to give myself the you know, to kind of give myself the room. Uh, rope is a bad analogy for this, but like runway, I needed to scramble to get my plane off the ground before we crashed kind of a thing right because if if i if i had gotten if i had run it as intended everyone would have gotten burnt on just like all of the combat that was happening in this back end and it's all underwater combat that's a huge pain in the ass right all of this combat that's happening on the back end that those juicy story beats that in the session people were engaged with right people were right. on top of whatever it was right the vault ichtholo tua the laying in uh all of the all of the um all of the NPCs, right? Uh, all of the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I, I, I kind of saved it by swiping out all of these obstacles um, as I saw them cropping up. I don't know. It's just, you know, I don't know. That's, I, I, I think these things can be, uh, I think these things can be handled. And I think this is going to sound like I'm being mean to Mark. Sorry, Mark, if you're listening, but I think the temptation to cut a session whole hawk, I get it. It's easy and it's straightforward and it is a it is a kind of uh, powerful you know like it's a powerful answer that seems like it solves the problem, um, but my experience is that it kind of doesn't. There's a there's a better solution. You just kind of have to. You just kind of have to find it, I, I guess, to a certain extent. By the way, because I think I think ending the session because people are disengaged is also a bad precedent to set. If that is you know what I yeah, mean, like yeah. it because. Something about the something about the disengaged stuff. When somebody is disengaged, I don't want to draw attention to it, right? I because because I don't want I do, I don't even want to. It's kind of like a landmine that I just don't want to step on. Right, right. right. So if I'm gonna, if I want to tell Enoch to get off of Wow and pay attention, maybe I'll send him a private message. But I'm not gonna call him out inside in in front of the group because then everyone's gonna laugh and we're all gonna have our moment and he's gonna be embarrassed and you know all this stuff and I don't want that, right? That's a negative experience that I just don't want to uh, associate with my game at all. Um, and That's when fair. we and, and I think and I think the kind of you know ending it is the same thing. Right. In game terms, I would say that this is a balancing thing and you want to have a lot of levers when you're tuning rather than just saying everyone does 25% less damage across the board, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I will go out on limb uh, or, or rather kind of defend Mark in a little in a little bit of a way. Like part of this, too, is also on the party, right? Like if. The game's also supposed to be fun for the GM, and while there are things you could do as a GM to kind of, like, make sure that, like, you don't ever hit that dead end point, part of it is on the party, too. 
and you know you, you can't expect the GM to to, to the the GM is, is is you know juggling all of the parts of running the game. You can't also expect him to necessarily be the one hundred percent like driver of engagement either. There's got to be some participation from the players, which I think we haven't been the best about in Rune Lords. Um, at absolutely, cer- at certain yeah, points I in absolutely time. agree with you. Um, and so you know it, it's uh, like you know cutting a session, it, cutting a session se- sends a statement. Um, that like. That everything's kind of gone wrong, and I, and it sounds to me like what what you're saying with all of this is like if you ever actually get to that point, it's kind of the only solution, right? Like you should either you should be either anticipating ahead of time and preventing it from happening, but once you hit that point, it's kind of like it's dead, and so you probably should cut it. Do, do you do you agree with that? Like, do I agree with that? Because um, all of these things well, you've been saying is like I've read that people are starting to disengage, so I cut the monsters and I got us out of there, but we never actually got to that point. Um, if we were ever get to get to that point, like, you, I, I think you can make some efforts, but I do think that like, like even, even like, like cutting the session in some way, um, is, is the right thing to do. And, and, you know, I think there's also ways to do it that aren't like, like Mark's cuts are pretty kind of abrupt. And so it's kind of readable. It's also because, you know, we're supposed to play six to nine. And if we end at like seven thirty, we know why, um, but uh, I think that there's like I don't know I, I I think that if you it sounds like if if we if you get there you you kind of have to pull the plug. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. See, part of me even thinks part of me thinks that you can save it with a good hail mary, right? You know, you introduce some concept some curveball that gets people out of that rut that they're in sure um you know you you, you see what i'm saying i don't know that's kind of uh that's you know like i i think i'm much i'm more interested in in pitching a curveball or throwing that hail mary pass and trying to get you're trying to like force things back into people's brains and and then back to the top of it than I am in that I am like the, if if cutting the session is a last resort it is really a last resort okay. from my perspective that makes sense though I do though I do want to say that is a pretty convincing argument right like I do think it sets up uh, you know so I think it sets a bad precedent to a certain extent uh, and I explained that and everything but I also think it does set a good precedent because uh, to a certain extent that shame that people get or whatever could be, uh, you know, a good corrector um, of, I guess, uh, I don't know, of of their of their a good corrector of their behavior. Yeah. Well, we've talked about we talked about why you like the tools that that Roll Twenty and other online, you know, these kind of like computerized systems give you. Um, we've talked about. Um, about disengaged players and whatnot. Um, is there anything else? Bit, like these two are the, the things that that kind of always come up in in these kinds of discussions. Like you know, yeah. Like how do you keep players engaged because it's harder to do online? And you know, what what do you do with the software? Because you know, like I, I've um, there's this guy who I'm who I'm not the greatest, the biggest fan of. Um, but this guy online, I think he's called. I think his channel is called How to Be a Great GM, and he recommended mm-hmm. for online games like you you roll physical dice. And you just trust your players because that's more engaging. And like, um, he, he had a very kind of like, like online tool should be used as little as possible. Um, kind of approach, which I disagree with. Oh um, man. I wholeheartedly disagree um, with that. 
uh, and, and you know, like an online playing should just be as like as much of a simulation of the of the tabletop as pot. You know, like like a a, a proxy for the table in, in as thin as thin a level as possible if if possible. Um, which I think is, an, I don't agree with him, but I think it's an interesting way to run a game, right? Like I think it'd be cool to like you know, let's say you have the battle board and the four of us are kind of like webcams pointed at the board and we could tell you what we want to do or something like that. I think that could be neat. Um, but I don't think it's, it's, it should be like a kind of a general rule. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's necessary, but like, like I said, th those are like the, the, like the, the things that always come is how to engage with players and, and how to use the tools. Um, do you have any, anything else that you think is important? Cause we're, we're, we're running towards the end of our, our slot. So, here. so, so there is one thing I want to, I want to flip a little bit, which is that, um, I don't think running, you know, so first of all, I don't think running an online game is for everyone. And there are definitely things I miss about running. Like I, like I want to advocate, right. Running an online game is good and can be good. And if you, it, if you change some of your expectations and interface with it in a different way, uh, like not like a more interesting way, but like a more complex, just if you, if you, if you refocus yourself, right. You know, um, this is kind of like, you know, the medium is the message concept kind of thing. Like you need to, you need to change your entire frame of thinking when you're switching the way you're GMing in real life versus the way you're GMing in an online situation. And you need to, you need to anticipate that kind of stuff ahead of time, right? Television is not movies. Movies are not comic books, right? Running a, running a tabletop game online is not running a tabletop game in real life. And you need to walk into it with those different expectations primed essentially. Um, but I do think that there are things that, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, you get better from that live experience and something that works hugely for me is being able to feed kind of off of the group as almost like a crowd i mean i think so you know i almost think of being a gm in like a in like an mc situation right and like in high school and college i've emceed stuff before and I, and you need the crowd engaged and you need kind of, if that kind of makes sense and that's something that i do miss right like i adopt a really crazy accent and everybody gets really into the accent and that makes me more confident and better at the accent if that makes sense right i did this whole thing actually um with uh with a bunch of my theater kid friends where they went to like this old dwarf who explained kind of the backstory of like this sword that one of them had gotten. And it was like, Oh, it was this crazy sword. And I did the whole thing in this dwarf in like that kind of like, kind of like brusque Scottish typical dwarven accent, but they were so into it that they kept asking him questions. And I got deeper and deeper into the accent. I got really good at it. And we got really into this guy and this character and everything. And that's something that I never get. You, you just, you just can't get that kind of a reaction, no matter how good you are or how good you do through a computer. Um, so insofar as the two are different and there's something I miss about, you know, there's something I miss about running stuff in game all or in, in, uh, you know, live all the time. That is number one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so something, something I'm, I'm going to throw out there from, from my very limited experience in, in all of these things is, um, is that if, if you're the type of per like, so I think unlike most of our group of friends, I am probably the least GM of, of us. And I don't mean in terms like, I, you know, in terms of experience, that's definitely true as well. But like in, in terms of like, you know, when people ask, are you a player, are you a GM? I'm definitely a player that GMs when he needs to, or, for, you know, for, for, 
I GM out of necessity rather than out of preference. Um, and I have found through my limited experience GMing online that GMing online is tougher when that's the case. I think it's a lot easier to because I think of actually the things that you you talked about, right? Like I I think it's easier to kind of be an NPC as a character and thus kind of like emulate that player feeling in person. Um, uh, in part like do the, doing that in person rather than doing it online. I like like you said, it's hard to get the type of engagement online, and as such. The things that a, that that I enjoy as a GM, even though it's not my preference, are kind of minified in an online setting, at least from a, the little bit of it that I've done. Um, and so, if you're the type of person that prefers to play in GMs because it's it's like you know you have to with this you know for whatever reason, right? Like you, you prefer to play in, and you you GM when it's necessary. Know that if you're doing it online, it's going to be tougher. Um, and uh, be just be prepared for that. I don't think it's impossible, right? Like I've done it, mm. um, and I do it again. Like I, I, I hope to run this the second session of uh, Dusk City Outlaws for you guys at some point, because um, I did get the the bonus scenario, so we can do something before before it comes out in like uh, in what is it December, um, um, but n just if you know if if for those of you who who want to do just 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 be aware that that you're in for a little bit of a rockier trip. Like I don't, I don't think I'd be able to run a Pathfinder game long term, um, online, uh, straight up, just because I, I don't think I'd be, um, I'd be able to engage with it in the way I'd want to as a GM. Um, interesting. See, I also think to a certain extent, by the way, uh, that running Pathfinder, like long term Pathfinder campaigns, really should kind of stop being the norm, uh, compared to. I guess running. Uh, I think. I think. Kind of. I think. G, I think games should be shorter in general. Almost, and I'm becoming more and more convinced of this as I as I like kind of age and I play things, and even as I run things, right? Like I get the kind of temptation and everything, but I almost kind of think that it's almost like a design flaw of Pathfinder to be so uh long-term focused compared to kind of short-term focused and that i i don't know i really don't know How, but yeah um hmm. so i i've got a i've got i've got a a a, a thought um Kind of in in this vein, I so I've been playing. I've again this this is you know we we might run into differences because this is in person, but um for both the five E game that I play in and the Wrath of the Righteous game that I run, we've kind of gotten to this cadence of like once or twice a month we schedule we try and schedule ahead of time when that's going to be, and that's kind of like an event of like a day, and this is similar to what happens with your with your mega dungeons. Um, I think that Pathfinder can hit those longer kind of campaign times with the longer session times that go along with those types of sessions, cause the longer session times kind of allow for a greater story to be told, like encapsulated in it. Like you can, you could feel like you've accomplished more in a session that way. And I think that those sessions kind of having their own kind of, uh, um, self-contained arcs to them, lets them be satisfying on their own in the kind of, uh, in, in, in the picture of a larger scale campaign. Whereas I think with the shorter sessions that we play, the kind of main focus becomes the larger, larger, uh, larger arcs, which I think you've done a good job in with, uh, hell's rebels 
because it's it's by book like the the books kind of fit into this shorter campaign type of style if that makes sense um so like with these shorter sessions having a shorter campaign which in the equivalent in hell's rebels is a is a book i think that helps drive it along um makes the overall campaign a little bit less or a little bit less front and center and a little bit more able to kind of like track as as a larger goal and I think with you can have like a more traditional long long form campaign if your sessions are longer because each of those sessions is a shorter arc, and the long term campaign kind of like sits in the background. If that makes sense, you know I so I agree with you, but I actually think that I agree with you, but I actually think that that's because I was able to break the break the game into kind of these discernible chunks uh, in a way. And, and, you know, and, and to a certain extent, I think campaigns are built on this, right? Like, for instance, I was actually super into Iron Gods in that second book. I love that stuff. That was awesome. Um, but then it kind of transitioned to the third one. And it's all about this, you know, ch tower. And then we got to that, like, Scar of the Spider. And I just, like, couldn't couldn't care less. You know, I just couldn't care about it, right? So I think, I think that in, to a certain extent, these mini, um, you know, focusing the game in on kind of mini things uh is yeah i i really think that's the way to do it right from my perspective right like story arcs right you know the the story arc is something that should be kind of uh trusted but you need to layer them right you can't have your your story arc in a campaign be the campaign right it has to be it has to be that has to be smaller arcs that are spread you know that are that are spread out so that we can get to climaxes right we can have rising action pay off quicker right it's like it's like each episode has an arc right and then each season has an arc and then the whole tv show has an arc almost right, right. and these are all layered in on among among one another and when you don't have that kind of structure uh, i mean by the way i just want to say in general i'm really big on story structure i think it's super important and people don't think about it or are good at it or consider it enough um but uh, i think when you have that right kind of structure you can really kind of make anything work i think i could i think i could gm a, a game in perpetuity right all you need to do is just structure it appropriately to get to that point um you know but uh yeah i don't know yeah i definitely i definitely see what you're getting at i 100 percent uh i see the problem that that kind of comes from uh that kind of comes from uh uh, the session, you know, like the session length and everything like that, right? This is part of why I argue so heavily for like each session should be a self-contained story. You know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I'm going to build a session to a self-contained story so that each one is a discernible chunk that we kind of can bite off. Because when we do these kinds of slice of cake sessions and the, you know, yeah, when I finish it, it feels great, but I'm, it, it's like it takes eight weeks to get there. That sucks kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and then the part of that too is also kind of like the, the, this is also, an, I, I think something that's just pernicious to online games is kind of like the, the, the desire to like push sessions, um, like because, because it's easy and instantaneous, right? Like because you can just say, you know, like, oh, we're pushing tonight's session and you don't have to worry about someone like being in transit or have already shown up at your house for the session. I think it's much easier to push sessions. I think it also contributes to this, this kind of problem where, um, you can go weeks between, um, like weeks between, like a a, a you know wh where in theory like a multi-session, uh, thing could be fine if it happened over the course of like a week, 
if it happens over the course of like three because things go poorly, th- that really drags on on the campaign. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's definitely true. I, you know, I to be honest with you, I wanted to fight that point a little bit because I am notorious for canceling sessions in. Uh, but, but so so I think uh, in in real life in my real life games okay. I love canceling sessions, um, and I felt like. I feel like the first two books of Hell's Rebels were very good, but, I mean, I just canceled this week's session just because, uh, well, I for, uh, you know, kind of other reasons or whatever, but maybe I did kind of come to that decision a little too quickly almost. Uh, I don't know. No, so I'm not, I'm not saying, so I'm saying, like, your kind of technique of making each session so digestible chunk means that we're not, like, we're not at a real hanging point, right? We've dealt with um, the Way Watchers and my father for that session and we're waiting to kind of do the next thing right um oh yeah oh gotcha i see what you're so saying. it's yeah. it's it's not it's not like we like started talking to the way watchers um last week and we were mid-conversation it's like oh we, we've got to call it because of time and it's been three weeks in between and we have to pick up even though yeah. in game time it's been a short amount of time in game time it won't be probably as long as it's been in real time but it'll be kind of like a similar like break in the action that it that um that it works better that way i um, and even, even, uh, I, I hate going back to this or maybe I don't hate it cause it works so well, but, um, going back it is the perfect example. I know exactly where you're going with this. Do it, Mega. If we, if we go back to the, uh, the, the arena fights, it's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, just like, you know, we did break in between fights, but like, it's not, it, they weren't, uh, it's... If I'm going to be hard on Mark for a second, because I've actually Mark has a pattern of this kind of thing, um, because I don't think I mean th- this. I, I want to preface this: this is a difference of opinion. I understand that pe- there are people who don't agree with me on this, but I'm just going to lay out my case really quick. I think that is a great example of why story structure is so fundamentally important to these kinds of things, right? Like Mark has a has a kind of per um, a perspective on the game on 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 story in general right that like kind of arcs and stuff like that make stories cliche i think which they do to a certain extent they they gotta get cliche and tropey um but uh when it organizes your story in a way that is easily relatable to players you're not having to take up valuable bandwidth for your players attention just trying to communicate to them the steps you know what I mean? Like the stepping stones of the story progression. And when Mark gets lost in his kind of convolution that, that can that can happen, um, it's because that communication breaks down, if that makes sense, right? Like I think there like I've made this case before. There's a version of the of the arena fights that work really well, right? You just you just copy tournament arcs in anime to a certain extent, right? Like and, and, and if you learn from that, if you learn from that and you structure them properly and you fit them appropriately in the narrative, I think that they're strong uh, kind of a thing. But I think Mark kind of uh, missed missed us when it came to, uh, you know, f- like forging the connection that we had with the story of progressing through the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. Um, but uh, it's... Uh... It's kind of far into the into the episode. I think it's time to talk about our weeks. Unless you had anything else you wanted to. No, I uh, I'm actually really glad that we covered as much of this stuff as we did. Uh, I guess yeah. I don't know. 
It's something I'm very passionate about. I feel like uh, I feel like online games get a bad rap, actually, to be honest with you. Um, I think I agree. Um, I I think part of that is is just kind of like the the um, there's going to be a, a lot of people who have been at this for a long time will have probably not have done it online for a long time because it's a relatively new thing. And so there's kind of like, I, I think there's the, the type of people who come together to give advice on this kind of thing are the type of people who are probably traditionalists at this point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not, not to toot our own horns, but we're part of this brave new generation that's not afraid to do it online. Yeah, uh, and to be honest with you, I also think that there's a huge stigma just kind of like in a larger societal case about, right, like running social things through online, you know, right. you know, like it's the kind of like, it's the kind of thing where like, you know, my dad thinks that my relationships with wow friends is, are not real. Right. Because they're all through a virtual kind of setting, right? You and I don't live, you and I don't live anywhere near each other, but we're really good friends just because we can get on mumble and right. You know, that like that yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, I, I think it's a combination. Yeah, it, of a it, it was, it was a large yeah. part of Dungeons and Dragons marketing strategy for the past couple of years to be like, you know, you know, you're in some, you're in a place with friends instead of being online. Um, uh, yeah, I think that, I actually really hated that. I really hated that. I thought it was hugely, uh, I don't even know, like kind of condescending. I mean, uh, uh, or maybe like patronizing. I don't know. I just hated it. I just uh, If you're going to be a nerd, at least be a nerd with other nerds, nerd. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, God. Right? Like, yeah. Anyway, anyway, our weeks. Tell me about your week, Mango. Um, so... We didn't play any tabletop games this week because Rune Lords is on hiatus until the 25th and 26th when we're going to finish that bitch off. Um, and uh, I canceled Tales Rebels, Rebels because, because I was... The personal burnt. reasons, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, video games-wise, I've been playing... Um, I played a, a bit of For Honor last weekend. Um, I just I just haven't kind of had the time super recently to play a bunch of it, but that's, that's still fun for the same reasons. Um... Uh, something that's kind of worrying is that, like, the player base has fallen off a bunch, um, which I guess is kind of to be expected. Um, but it's it's still fun. Um, and uh, I've play, been playing a lot of Neo. In fact, uh, um, it's it scratched it. Like, it, it hasn't quite been, like, the, the, the coolest thing for me, but a but, um, friend, of, friend of the show, uh, Monik, um, uh, of the, uh, the Unwise Index... Um, who, by the way, I have it on good authority, is uh, the Unwise Index is making a comeback, so look out for that. Oof, do you have it on really good authority? Yeah, I actually, oh I actually saw Monik on Monday. Um, he was he was out here on business, and he came to hang out. And um, besides telling me that the Unwise Index was coming back, he was like, I was like, oh, so what do you want to do? He's like, put in Neo, I want to watch you play. Um, and so we, I played a bunch of Neo. I died a bunch because it's a Souls-like game. Um, but wow, that is, by the way, that is like the most hardcore, like nostalgia throwback. I want to watch you play. I remember when that used to be like the way we played. Oh yeah. As like a kid, you know right? what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, you know, or like, you know, so at least for me with my brother, it was like, no, it's my turn. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was the thing is you, you got your turn when you died, yeah. which was actually awesome because, uh, you know, we plan to do – so we actually plan to do uh, – we've talked about this before, but, like, kind of, like, about our gaming histories and everything like that. But I think one of the biggest things that, like, was, like, a thing that got me into games on that level almost is the just, like, the the recursive – like, that, that feedback loop of, like, if I don't die, 
I get to play longer, right? If I'm better at the game, I get more of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that really fueled me to get really good at some games. Oh, you, so you don't... Oh, man. I used to, I'd be, My favorite game growing up as a kid was Super Mario Bros. 3. Um, and one of the mechanics in the multiplayer version of that game is if someone's on the same square as kind of, like, you were, you can hit a button and force a fight, and the winner of that fight is it's that person's turn. And the amount wow. of rage that caused between me and my brother was, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny. Oh, man. Uh, but, yeah. Um, anyway, to get back, Neo's a lot of fun. Um, I kind of fell off on it, actually. I, I mentioned it in our shared chat that I was kind of falling off of it. Um, and then Monica's like, just just play a little bit longer. And he pushed, and that, like literally the next day he was in town. He's like, just, just play a little bit longer. And he got me back into it. I haven't played in a while just because I've, I've been busy the past couple days. You know, screw real life and whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, like, it's not scratching the itch in the same way for me as, as, as it is obviously for Monic. But it's, it's kind of got the Dark Souls difficulty with that Diablo loot. And... That's kind of that, that is kind of a magic combination. Um, I think that the, the game has has its flaws. I think it can get repetitive at times, um, but it's it's it, it just kind of like like the, the, the loot thing isn't quite all the way there for me yet because I'm still you know I'm the, new game plus is when you kind of like hit like it's like the equivalent of like hitting max level in Diablo, um, yeah. and so you know like the game really opens up from there, um, but like that loot stuff. Is actually a lot more engaging than I thought it would be, especially on like the the crazier, crazier pieces. And I actually think one of the, one of the problems is that the early game Neo, the combat is boring and the items are boring. That you have to get over a certain hump, before, mm. um, before you know it, it feels starts like you start engaging with those mechanics both. Um, like once you kind of start needing to engage with the more deep mechanics of combat, um, and once you, uh, um. Start of get start getting items with crazy affixes on them. The game really, right. really becomes becomes super cool, um, and I would highly recommend it uh, to anybody out there um, if you've got a PS4. I, I I hate the PS4 controller, so I bought myself a third party controller, a Hori controller that has offset sticks, just so I can play the game and feel comfortable wow. with it. And it, well, it was worth funny. it to me. Um, hey, fair enough. Um, the only other big thing is today, I was telling you about this before we started recording, the uh, the official Shadow of War gameplay walkthrough came out from, uh, what is it, Monolith, I think is the people who are making the game. Yep. Um, and it looks great, and I am so I am so pumped. I am so pumped. It comes out on August 22nd, and I am counting the days. Um, it's, uh, it's There's this live stream tomorrow. Um, I'm either going to watch the, the VOD or I'm going to try and tune in at work maybe but it is oh i am so i am so hype i love <laughs> i i have so i have not been this hyped for like the, the last time i felt this hyped for a game was the first time i saw the last of us trail like the last of us gameplay trailer um which was like holy shit they're doing some really cool things with ai and this is like you know it feels gonna feel like a re real breathing world and that game was excellent it didn't quite live up to what i thought it was going to be um but it was still excellent regardless um I am. Oh yeah, no, I get that, dude. When I first saw the Shadow of Mordor, uh, when I first saw the Shadow of Mordor thing, I couldn't help but look at this and just be like, "This is bullshit." You know what yeah. I mean? Like, this is like this is like the emergent AI they talk about in like Skyrim or whatever, right? Like, it sounds cool, 
and it looks good in a presentation like this and i definitely understand how somebody could get hyped but that it's fucking it's lies right don't believe the lies but, uh, right but, and then, but shadow of mordor delivers yes, right? right oh my god That's, right it's probably the first time i've ever had my expectations for something like that like so thoroughly shattered right like um and be because of that i am like just watching some of the, the, this alpha gameplay footage I I fully expect like the cooler aspects of the AI to deliver, um, and if it does, which it looks like it's going to, I'm I'm going to be so. Oh, it's gonna be so. It's gonna. Oh, I'm I, I'm I'm sorry. I just I just want to gush for like the next twenty minutes, but I'll I'll stop myself. I'll put a link in the description. <laughs> Go watch this. Um, I really do see. I you know I I I have a habit of not getting into this kind of thing because. Uh, that I, I get like, that I get kind of sucked into the cycle of like, oh, I'm just so fucking hyped for everything that I can't even unhype. You know what I mean? I can't unhype myself. Um, well, you know, I, I'm usually like this too, but it, it's funny. I I, I I watched Philip DeFranco, and today he he said in you know, one of the links that he put up was like, the new gameplay for Shadow of War came out, and the Nemesis system starts to apply to your allies too and i'm like what i need to see this and i watched it was like what what is this <laughs> and i immediately posted it everywhere i could um it is oh, i'm i'm i am i'm pumped anyway how was your week buddy uh my week is good the game i want to talk about this week that i've been playing the fuck out of right like i literally last night okay Last night I was sitting and I was like, okay, I'm going to do my like emissary chess or whatever. Uh, and then I'm going to play some long war. I've been playing a lot of long war too. Right. Uh, uh, and, uh, and then I just, Oh, you know, and I did, I did some stuff and then I, I, I had the long war has really long loading screens because every, there's just like so much shit out there. Um, the long war loading screens were so long that I was like, you know, I'll just pull out my phone. Right. And I'll play some of this game. Uh, and then I just ended up sitting in my computer chair playing the game for an hour, and I was like, oh, shit, right, I was playing XCOM. <laughs> and so then I canceled out of XCOM, and I just, like, sat on my phone and played for the next, like, three hours, right? So the game is called Bloons 5 Tower Defense, um, which is apparently, so, like, the story behind this game is that, like, a couple of guys made a web game that was a... Um, it was like a flash game that you know you'd put on like Newgrounds or like E Bombs World or whatever you know any of those like kind of like old sites that like collected some of the stuff was and it's about you know it's about this onset of balloons and there are monkeys and the monkeys throw darts to pop the balloons right and they these guys eventually got like kind of popular enough that they formed their own studio and they started releasing these games uh, and they released this one both as a free browser game on their website and as a mobile game that with like my, with like small microtransactions um and you also have to pay to get it. it's like three doc three bucks from the google app store kind of thing um but it is so fucking complex and nuanced it's insane to me how much they've been and, and, and it's only because this is the fifth right like you can tell that they've really like they've just incorporated and incorporated and as like the processing power of phones have gotten better and better right they've just like made the, the like these outright like there are lead balloons um there are these ceramic balloons that take 10 hits to crack the ceramic casing and then the ceramic casing cracks open and all of these balloons pop out from in there and then you have to pop all of those balloons and there's all of these different towers there's like 25 different towers and each of the towers has two upgrade trees 
And you can get the first two upgrade trees, like both of them, right? So I can get rank one and rank two of each tree. But then rank three and rank four are mutually exclusive with the other tree, right? So I either choose one tree or another uh, to get rank three and rank four. And, and uh, it's just so well done it's so good it's so well designed and it's so addictive to me that i've just been playing it non-fucking-stop uh for the past for the past week and uh so yeah bloons b-l-o-o-n-s-5 is the name of that game and it is like it's so good that it's the first m game i've ever played on my phone that has turned itself not into just a pooping game <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, I know what you mean. I was that way with uh, Ridiculous Fishing, which I still maintain is the greatest mobile game to ever exist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bloons has blown. I mean, I would have said Hearthstone. I think doesn't really count because it's both kind yeah. of a thing. Uh, but you know, I definitely could have said something like, I yeah, I I actually think Candy Crush is a really solid game. Uh, I thought Clash of Clans was pretty good. You know, like I get why people like get really into those games, and I think that they're actually much more solidly designed than like kind of haters might uh, might otherwise expect. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, holy shit, balloons, right? Like, yeah. Well, wow. Um. Yeah, you don't like tower defenses. Yeah, um, uh, which I, I was surprised to learn. I just, I just don't find them. I, I just don't find them compelling. Um, I don't find kind of like the, the build and try and guess what's going like like going to happen and then, uh, react and, and then like hope that you're that the the wave stopped, um, kind of progression to be. I I just don't find it to be super super fun. Uh, See, interestingly enough, you can. I, I get that, and to a certain extent, I play and I play balloons this way, right? Like, you you're kind of playing this game where it's like um, every time you pop a balloon, you get a dollar, right? Um, but balloons, as you get higher and higher, come in layers, and you have to pop each individual layer. So a balloon with five layers takes five pops and you eventually get into just like really obscene numbers and you're generating like thousands and thousands of uh, dollars per turn kind of a thing. But one of the things that you have to kind of get good at um, is saving and hoping to God that your defenses, like you can last for two or three rounds on the defenses that you've created so that you can buy a really powerful upgrade. Right, right. Um, and because there are all these different kinds of balloon types that you have to be like kind of thinking about, like you have to have an answer to lead balloons, you have to have an answer to camo balloons, which your normal towers just don't see. You have to have like special upgrades on your towers or like all these other different things, right? Like there are these big blimps that are full of balloons. Um, but so like, you know, the blimps fucked me up, uh, fucked me up the first time because I put all of this stuff right at the stop. So, so as soon as the balloons spawn, essentially, they're just getting like hammered with all of this damage. But because the blimp, takes a ton of damage and then spawns balloons when it dies <coughs> it it got through that kind of like first onslaught and then kind of got picked off a little bit after that and then all of a sudden i had a million balloons to deal with because it spawns all these fucking balloons and then i died right so it makes you think about the tracks um the tracks are really intricate and they make these weird kind of paths uh, and how? Oh God, it's just so good. It's no, so good. I, I I understand the draw. It's just it's just it's not not for me. Yeah, I feel that. I played a game in college actually that was quote unquote a tower defense game. It was actually a little bit of like a cross between a tower defense game and a uh, and a real time strategy game. 
the game, which I can't remember what it was called, but I remember it was developed by Oxenfree Studios. Um, what do I know them from? They're... They let me let me look. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, see, Oxenfree was a game that came out, but like this is different. Oh, maybe is, uh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. They created they created a game, and it was it was a great game. Um, it, the reason I loved the game so much was it was tiny. It fit on a, a like a one gigabyte flash drive. Maybe it was like a two gigabyte flash drive. But um, but the game essentially it put you down on like an alien planet or whatever. Um, and you had um. You kind of had like nodes, like power cables almost, like like poles, I guess, right? Like um, where power would run between the poles, um, and then you had, uh, and then you had minerals all around you, and you had mining bot things, right? Like towers to kind of uh, to kind of place, and then you had a variety of different kind of like defensive towers. Uh, really, not all that many, but a good enough variety that could do interestingly enough things that it was actually like a really kind of like elegantly complex system. Uh, and then waves of not like not necessarily formal waves, but just like aliens would spawn kind of around the corners of the screen, and they would attack your base, and your base had to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's one of those games you just play until you lose because eventually things get like right, so right, crazy. Right. But there was a mode in that game which was called Wave Mode, where you could, where it was. You know, you build a base and then you send a wave after it, uh, and then you build a base and then you send a wave after it, kind of thing. And there were like a hundred waves, and there was an achievement for. There was an achievement for send all one hundred waves at the exact same time, and you cannot build while any wave is up. Right. So the the achievement was just create the biggest, fattest, most solid base ever and hope to god that you can just survive literally everything the game has to throw at you right like not i'm not even exaggerating that is not hyperbole that is everything the game can possibly throw at you and i must have spent months just creating that base and uh and i beat the and then the wave and then i did it and my base was just like so i like overbuilt it so much that like it didn't even feel satisfying almost because I had spent so much time and I had this huge, really complicated design for it, all these layers. And I had like, I had built it so that like, I had built it so that, um, God, it was so complicated. I had built it so that like, I had expected certain layers of it to kind of collapse. And there were like, I think it was like five, but it may have been more than that. It may have been like six or seven. Maybe it was like 10 to be honest. Um, and I had built it so that like, if certain layers started collapsing and depending on how I expected them to collapse, the, the layers beneath them were structured in different kind of like crazy, crazy ways and just all of these things. Um, and, uh, uh, and I think, I think maybe the wave broke into like one or two layers and I was like, oh, come the fuck on. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, uh, so I think I get into I think I get into tower defense games, Mango. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean if if they're your thing, right? I'm not gonna judge. Um. Anyways, uh, but yeah, I guess that's uh, uh, I guess that's it. Well, I do want to mention next week we plan on doing plan on doing uh, Logan. So anybody listening to this right now, make sure you see Logan oh, speaking... out in theaters. Yes. Oh, what? Um, we forgot we were gonna see Logan. Um. And one of the things that this letter... We got a letter finally, and we forgot to talk about it. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck, you're right. God damn it. Wait, I want to talk about it real quick. First of all, thank you 
God for giving us some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Longtime listener, Jimmy, my friend Jimmy from college, who I love and is great. And I always love, uh, I love his feedback. But one thing I wanted to say is, yes, we would absolutely love to play D&D with any listeners. Uh, a great opportunity for that coming up is our game of Dusk City Outlaws, Mango. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll happily grab a fourth person for, for for this for the scenario. Um, right. We also have not we also have not solidified anything to be replacing that Rune Lord slot. Though we do plan on having some kind of game to be run uh, there in some capacity. Uh, just like as I, we said a couple of weeks ago, that that was in the process of uh, uh, happening. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, Jimmy wrote us, he gave us a bunch of feedback. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, uh, I think there's something, something that he, Jimmy asked us, you know, can you guys give a, a definitive, like an exact definition of what makes a game a good roguelike or not? That's a, that's a direct quote from this email. I think that was kind of the point of the last episode is that it, it it's hard to, um, because the, like the roguelike elements are, are present in so many different forms. And so, um, I think I, it's also it's also interesting because I don't think any one element is as defining to a roguelike as it might be to other. Yeah, I agree. Like for instance, uh, you know, just a turn-based strategy of, needs to be turn-based. Right. You know, a first-person shooter is first-person and you shoot things. Right. <laughs> like you know, uh, you know, some of these are just kind of like brain-dead idiot checks. Obviously, this thing is obvious. Um, but, uh, uh, we, yeah, roguelikes are much, much harder. Here's, here's what I think, here's what, what I think makes it tough about roguelikes. There's no single mechanic that defines a roguelike. There are a lot of different mechanics that could be part of roguelikes, and it is about the percentage of mechanics that any individual game possesses that determines how roguelike it is. How would you feel about that in a general sense of defining, Uh, like how we talk about defining roguelikes? That, that sounds, that sounds about right to me. That definitely sounds about right to me. I I, I buy that. Um, so yeah, Jimmy, that's that's the best you're gonna get. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, I don't think there's anything. Else. One more one more piece of advice that I saw. Oh. Jimmy was bringing his. Uh, Jimmy also was talking about. Uh, you know, getting uh, uh, getting a group together okay. to play Dungeons and Dragons, and I definitely, you know, I get that, man. Do I super get that? One thing um, that I would uh, there are first of all there are pickup games on Roll Twenty if you want to do kind of like do the online thing or whatever the case may be. But actually, randomly enough. I actually saw this thing on Craigslist all the time. Now, this is dated information, and it's also unique to Los Angeles, technically speaking. But a couple of years ago, when I was hardcore job searching, one of the places that I was looking for jobs all the time was Craigslist uh, because it was just, uh, well, you know, it was easy and I was lazy. Um, Craigslist had a like a section, I guess it was like in their personal section or whatever. Uh, and I just went there once, and I saw all of these advertisements to play uh, like board games and to play tabletop games and, to, and, and, uh, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think you might be able to find something along those kinds of lines if you look for it. Uh, another thing I would recommend is finding your local game shop and asking them uh, what kind of games that they run in the store. Maybe, right, like, do they do Pathfinder Society? Do they do any kind of pickup games? Uh, I know I know plenty of people who have found just kind of, like, entire friend groups 
just by kind of showing up at a game store and saying, hey, listen, I like to play D&D. Is there anyone else who likes to do that kind of thing? So those are my recommendations for you. I, I, I've, uh, got, I've got one more. Um, Go nuts. Just, be, just because, um, you know, this, this is a situation I was in, say, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, you said, you, you said, uh, I'd love to get this game started in Philly, but I haven't been able to get the game off the ground, so I sent this to my potential DM. Um, worst comes to worst, or, or rather... Like, if you want to get a game running, the easiest way is to be the DM yourself. Um, again, from a person who doesn't, who much prefers to be the player to be the DM, I wanted to play bad enough that I that I grabbed a bunch of people who didn't play the DM. And I know, it can, and I think it's especially daunting to DM if you've never played before. And I don't know how. That's definitely true. Um, and so maybe try and find a couple of one-offs to play in first, if you think that'll help. Um, but uh. Um, if you want to get a game running, the best way to do that is to run the game yourself. And then maybe after that campaign's done, maybe somebody else in the group will be like, I'd like to try that. And then you can go yep. back to being a player. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, that's exactly what happened to me. I learned, I had a friend who knew D&D and I didn't, and we played honestly like two sessions together. And then I was like, yep, that's all I need to know. And I started GMing games. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it is, uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you for the feedback. Please feel free to write in anytime. We love it. Uh, yeah, uh, and that goes yeah. for the rest of you too. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, unless you had anything else, buddy, I'll, I'll go into the outro now. Uh, yeah, I don't have All anything right. else. If you want to email us, like like uh, Prodigal Son Jimmy over here, you email us at somedervsplaygames at gmail .com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Um, and on Twitch or twitch.tv slash games, all the links to all this will be in the description. Um, you can leave a comment. You can, uh, on on anything, we're on iTunes and on the Google Play Store. Please leave us ratings on iTunes. Um, those are good for spreading the good word of us to everybody. Um, and we'd appreciate it very much if you did. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. Um, until next time, loyal listeners. Until next time, uh, dear listeners, thanks for tuning in.